Money Mind, expanding your mind when it comes to money matters. Here's your host, Tanya Carlson from Amplify Wealth Management. Greetings, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Money Mind. Today's guest is Trish Goodfield, an accredited coach, speaker, and facilitator. Trish doesn't claim to hold the key to unlocking human potential. She believes the true key lies within each of us, wrapped inside what Trish calls our weird wisdom, a distinctive knowing we all possess but often hesitate to embrace. With over two decades of experience, Trish excels at helping individuals and organizations discover their own unique key and use it to unlock a world of possibilities. Can't wait to dive in and learn more. So welcome to the show, Trish. Thanks for having me, Tanya. Now, I like to start by asking everybody the same two questions. The first one is a quick one. It's, are you a spender, saver or in-betweener? Definitely a saver. Oh, good for you. That's nice. We get a lot of in-betweeners so, and a bit of spenders, so it's nice to hear a saver. All right, we'll come back to that um, in a little while. The second one is, can you tell us a little bit about your cultural background and upbringing? So I was raised in Redcliffe in Queensland by two parents who were both born just prior to the Depression. So with them Mm -hmm. having been raised in the Depression, that certainly, I believe, has influenced my saver mentality. My mother has a Scottish background, which also heavily influenced the way we were brought up. Scots are good savers. Yeah. Sometimes from necessity, I think, more than choice. Probably true. Probably true. Yeah. Okay, great. I think a good place to start, Trish, to put your interesting career in perspective is is exactly that. How did it start for you? How did you get to where you are now? Well, when I left school, I started um, working in disability. Um, Actually, the same day I got my senior certificate, I showed up at work. And that was before the Disability Services Act. So we're talking like 1981. And I was very, very lucky that I was guided by some wonderful people who, we didn't use the term mentor back then, but now I can look back. They took me under their wing and guided me. I believe they certainly influenced not just the way I worked in disability, but the way I work now, about wanting to be able to inspire people, include people and help them improve. Yeah, fantastic. That's really good. And so when did you move into coaching, I guess, for want of a better word? By accident. And it certainly wasn't necessarily yeah. by design. My husband and I at that stage had a creative business where we made everything we sold. And mm. Sundays was a market set up around the complex. And we were getting inundated by people coming in going, oh, got a few questions. We'd love to do what you're doing. And I was flat out busy on Sundays. It was our busiest day. So, you know, wanting to inspire, improve and include, I'd say, come back during the week and I'd love to have a chat to you. What I was finding, though, was that people were coming back, the same people, every couple of months and they weren't taking any action. Mm. One Sunday afternoon, my husband and I were sitting on the veranda and I said to him, I'm going to start charging. His (laughs) eyes lit up and he said, oh, do you think they'll start paying? And I went, no, I'm hoping they'll go away. (laughs) Lo and behold, not only were they happy to pay, they then started taking some action. And 
I was like going, mm-hmm. there, was, there was a a lag, yeah. I have to admit, between that and me understanding that dollars and value are two different things. So Correct. Yes, that very was interesting. In the early 2000s. So from okay. there, I've, I coached, but it was always something on the side. Not necessarily a side hustle, but it was always, yeah. it wasn't my primary source of income, wasn't even my primary source of energy expenditure. Yeah, fantastic. It was after my husband died that I moved it out oh. on its own. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. I was just about to ask you what you and your husband made and whether whether you're still doing that. Okay. Well, at the time we were making, I was making hand-dyed fabric and threads. I designed cross-stitch kits, stitchery kits. I'd make things out of absolutely nothing long before upcycling and recycling was fashionable. And my husband made things out of old timber. Where our business was was oh, an great. historical village and when something fell down, he would make something else out of it. So Pick it up. Yeah. yeah, great. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. And I'm sorry he's no longer with us. How long has that been, Trish? It was early two thousand and fourteen. Mm, okay. So still relatively recent, I would imagine, for you. There are times when yes and other times no. And I know that that's not always a popular thing to say. You see on Facebook, people go, oh, not a day goes by where I don't think about you. The reality is there are days. But that's part, to me, that's part of the healing and it's a good thing. And I very consciously said the year that he died, not how long it was. I made a decision about four years in that I was continuing to be defined by that event by saying it's 10 years or it's whatever. So I switched my mentality so that, it wasn't, yes it, de- yes, it was a defining moment, but it wasn't the only. There's been many in my life in almost 60 yeah, years. Of course. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I bet that's really, it just makes me think of a number of things, but I think it's really important to share. I'm, I'm pleased that you've shared that, and I'm, I'm sorry, I know it would have been a hard time, but I think that's a very true statement that you can make these, what we inverted commas call, tragic events um, become life-defining that some people can't move away from. And and grief is an individual experience like everything in life. So it affects people differently, of course. Um, But that's an interesting way of dealing with the date and the timeframes because I think that um, that can be something that people hang on to. Well, even hang on to is the wrong word, but you know what I'm trying to say, perhaps use it um, or, or allow that to affect them differently. Mm. And again, as you say, everybody is so very, very different. And I certainly would never say to somebody, you should do it this way. You know, and I think we've come a long way around the rules of grief and grieving with, and I think to be fair, social media has helped that. We have more mm. conversations yeah, that's about. probably true. Exactly, yeah. So it's not all bad, social media. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, it certainly was an intentional decision on my part that has been beneficial. It worked for me. Yep, understand. Yeah, it's allowed you to find a way that that works um, in the way that you can address these things. And I'm sure probably helped a little bit with 
coaching because I think sometimes it's helping people, and I don't want to put words in your mouth because you're the coach, not me, but um, helping people find ways for themselves in whatever might be affecting them to whether it's a, a turn of phrase that you might be able to use or changing a mindset. Is that something that you feel is relevant for people of how to address issues or blocks or, or give them confidence to move forward? Definitely. And move forward in whatever area that they've, I guess, come to me with. I First of all, I'm really, really clear about the fact that I am not counselling. And yep, if yep. I feel during that relation, that coaching relationship that that's what somebody's looking for with me, I will go there and have a conversation with them and refer them to somebody. Depending on the circumstances, they may be able to do that side by side. Other times they may need to go off and deal with that before they come back. In terms of when people come to me, I find that often what they first present with, while very real for them, is sometimes quite superficial. They know that there are greater issues below that it probably preventing them from stepping forward, but they're not yet in a trusting relationship to disclose that. So the coaching relationships is often around peeling layers of an onion. You know, you're pulling it down and sometimes then you have to go and revisit some of the strategies that you dealt with on a superficial level because they're not going to deal with that. A good coach asks lots of questions. The quality of the question will in my view, nine times out of 10, allow the coachee to present strategies and say, oh, well, I guess I could try. And then you can start digging down around what do you think that might do? What have you not thought of? What else might you need to do? When will you start it? And then, you know, dig down with that. But the our role really is asking questions and to tap into their their knowing and their skills. We have to meet them where they are. We can't stand here and go, yo, look at me. I'm good. Yeah. (laughs) I know what I'm talking about. It's not about me saying, do this, do that, do that. It's about, you've said you're going to do that. What stopped you? What what barriers were in your way this week that stopped you meeting that commitment you made to yourself? Mm. Yeah, that's really helpful, I think, isn't it? It's a bit of a journey for, for most of us, um, finding our way through life, um, whether that's career, family, you know, uh, friendships, relationships, money, all those things. Ev- everything we learn along the way gives us more information for the next phase uh, and, and either some of that we're going to be able to not deal with at the time for whatever reason or not process well and push down or it's going to help us move forward um, depending on where we are and what we're doing and who we've got around us. Absolutely. And I have never had a client come to me who has not read every self-help book that's been on the bestseller list in the last few years and they still have that gap yeah, because they're not yeah. recognising their, as I say, their weird, their weird wisdom in yeah. that place. They're trying to be what the book says and what this book says and then next week there's another book. There's a point where you have to find a well, way for you. There's more commitment. Yes. Yes. We often talk about that too because clients will come to us about money matters, obviously, and finance matters. And they'll say they've read this book and that book and there's some well-known books um, around that people generally have read. But it's a $20 commitment. 
as yes. opposed to coaching or advice, uh, which is a much higher, stronger financial price to pay. But as you mentioned before, when you started charging for your services, um, people actually started taking action. So that accountability when we hand over some of our hard-earned cash is a really interesting observation that you made there. Um, have you ever delved into more into that to sort of understand that more or do you find that that's just how people need to? I, I have certainly on a case-by-case basis with clients when I've sort of spoken to them around, okay, yeah, you've read these books and you've got this knowledge, what stopped you from applying it and applying it consistently that you think now paying me is going to change? Because at this point, one of the things that I'm really, when I'm having those conversations early on is around, you still have to do the work. (laughs) I'm not doing it for you. So I don't want to be having a relationship with you where I'm sitting with you for an hour, two hours each week, having the same conversation each week. I need Mm. to know that I'm having an impact. So what value do you place on that? And that's not a monetary value. I think that's that's that accountability as well, isn't it? It's almost like an accountability buddy alongside the value of paying an expert for that guidance and support. Absolutely, yeah. I don't want to be somebody's yeah, um, great. cocktail conversation. Oh, I have a coach. You know, with my coach, we yeah. do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, want, I want the people they're talking about me to to go, oh, we want to go and see her, not... No, I'm not seeing any changes here, buddy, you know. <laughs> you know, so she yeah, that's be very definitely good. true too. Yeah. Yes, yeah, that's right. There's a there's a an emphasis on having some impact and seeing some progress that's good for them and good for you. Totally. Yeah, I like that. Now, you use a lovely word which which we mentioned in our intro um and which you just mentioned then weird wisdom. So do you want to tell us about how you came up with that phrase, if it was you, of course, and um, and what that means to you and your program? Well, how I came up with it was I had been in a meeting where I was the only person asking questions and I joke about I had lots of questions and I don't really need to go into what the topic was, but it was very much around that this is the way we've always done it conversation. So I'm asking these questions and a colleague turned to me and I want to stress without any malice whatsoever. In fact, there was a hint of awe in her voice and she turned to me and she said, you're weird. (laughs) And I honestly, I felt, I felt like all of a sudden I had taken a deep breath and felt completely light and alive and seen for the first time. And I was really quite puzzled by it because it's always been used to put people down. And I couldn't work out why this, you're weird, didn't make me feel anything any less. I came home and I Googled the definition of weird because I'm insatiably curious. And the first definition that came out was this, and it was attributed to being an old Scottish definition. And I've now seen them say old English in use with Scottish, but doesn't, I grabbed the Scottish definition of it that said one's destiny. And literally I had oh, this, wow. I had this kind of superwoman visionary, you know, hair flowing back in the wind, you know, backing off yes. all of the negativity in the world. 
And I went, right, that's that's for me. My grandfather was Scottish. Yeah. I can use this. So totally. I kind of started like sitting there thinking, well, yes, I often have been the one who's always gone, well, what if we do this? Have we thought of that? I've certainly had the look in meetings, you know, that stop talking. I've been told to stop talking. You all know that look, yes. Yeah, yes. I have been yeah. told yeah. to stop talking in nice ways and not so nice ways. I believe that we've all experienced those moments of where we've gone to say something and thought, oh, maybe we shouldn't, maybe that's not for polite society or goes against the group that we're in or, as I said, in workplaces, the way they've always done it. And I thought, well, there has to be other people. And maybe for me, I started like thinking, and this was all in this one afternoon, is this the piece that's missing in the diversity, equity and inclusion space in workplaces? Now, unbeknownst to me on that day, I've since discovered there is quite a bit of research around that diversity of thought. I wasn't thinking of it right. quite so clear at that point. I was just thinking why yes. about me, to be fair, about me yes. as an individual. Yeah. Yeah. So then I thought, well, it's only ever wisdom if you use it and share it. If you keep it bottled up, what you know, it's just knowledge. And wow, the wisdom, I like that, yeah. And the wisdom piece comes from the experiences. So for me, right. diversity of thought is not about demographic diversity. It's about the experiences yep. we all have, regardless of our race, our sexual identification, gender, where we've come from, our upbringing or any of that. It's about the experiences. So that was yeah. kind of how it came to together. I mashed it together with weirdstom, just for a little bit of a catchy yep. marketing phrase, as we do. And so as now I, I like it. Yeah. So now I work, I try to help individuals understand they're weird. And yes. And also if they embrace that concept to absolutely understand that if they have weird, each and every one of us have it. If they have their destiny, yes. we all have our destiny. And then how do we help others use theirs? And then if they can understand theirs and we'll give them the skills to use theirs, they can help others like in workplaces, in their social settings, in their sporting groups, use theirs. So yeah. I'm kind of hoping that it ripples out so a little bit. Well, absolutely. It, it it almost has to, doesn't it? You would you would expect. I mean, obviously there's going to come along what you imagine in the movies, the big bad bully that that says this is rubbish and puts people down. But I think what you're helping people to do is celebrate the experiences they've had, good or bad, and use that knowledge and share it, which again is something interesting when you think about social media because we share a lot of experiences, whether they've been set up um, or are actually live. Um, and it almost sometimes feels like we don't celebrate the individual very well anymore. I find that everybody wants to look the same and act the same and, um, you know, it's different. But it feels to me that what you're saying with your weirdstom is that, you know, by sharing the parts of you perhaps that are individual, um, you're sharing those individual knowledge and, and things that are important to talk about and, and share with other people. Absolutely, yeah. And if you hold that back and you do 
hold yourself in to blend in with everybody else and you only mix on social media with other like-minded people, which is just an echo chamber, and you never put yourself in a situation where you're exposed to other people's thoughts and views, you're not showing people that you trust them. So it then becomes somebody has to be first. That's what I always say. Somebody has to be first to be vulnerable enough to go, well, this is who I am. And it's not an excuse to be rebellious or anti-anything or um, anti-social. We all know that when we walk into a library, we can't be loud and obnoxious and the like. And we we all do it. We all modify that the same. Being weird doesn't mean that you can just walk into the office and start being loud and obnoxious. It's not an excuse for misbehaviour, but it's a way of sharing your thoughts and it's a way of being heard and to be valued for who you are. Yeah, that's a really, really important message. And it makes me go back to the beginning where people were coming to you at what I imagine is an arts and crafts sort of style market. Yes. And typically where you talk about somebody's got to be first or, or, you know, that that makes me think of, you know, yourself making and dyeing fabrics that would be individual, your husband making things out of recycled timber. The people that are coming along are obviously initially asking you because they're not feeling brave enough to, to put forward publicly their creations. Yes, very much so, yes, and needing yeah. some affirmation that they've got something to yes. offer and that what they've yes. got may be of value to somebody else. And really, when you make something with your hands, there is nothing more personal. Of than course, that. yes. I'm terribly uncreative, actually, but um, but I would oh, imagine you, there'd be do you, ever mix out, <laughs> do you ever mix out an ingredient in the recipe? You swapped something Actually, I'm, I'm very creative in the kitchen. Yes, so there you're you right. Go. I am creative. I shouldn't say that. Yes. No, you definitely definitely got me there. <laughs> but um, I've, got a, I've got a lot of arty friends and clients um, and some of them are, are very uh, have, a, have, a, have a next level of what I would call paranoia about their creations, whereas to someone like me, certainly if they are a painter, for example, and I'm someone who can't paint, I think how incredible, whereas they will be seeing what they wanted to be sort of slightly different before maybe making it available, which I always think nobody would even notice that little That's right. flick of the whatever that you've done there. Um, but for them, it's it's very important. So I guess that can be debilitating. Absolutely, very much so. And helping people, one of the things that I teach individuals and when I'm in organisations, it's also relevant is that an idea is not a plan. So mm. if you've got an idea about something, you don't need to have it fully tracked out. Just yeah. start. start. The same in, you know, if you're in a meeting and all of a sudden something's popped into your head, if you pre- preface it with, I've just had an idea, often what happens is people go, oh, no, but that won't work because of blah, 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 because they're already seeing or thinking what yes. they've heard is a plan. So right. it gets shut down. The diversity of thought gets shut down. So, you know, being able to give mm. people the skills to introduce that idea somewhat differently, but also get the organisation to be able to support people. And the person who was saying no but, they're not the bad guys. 
they're actually yeah. your best friend because they're seeing potential yeah. barriers for you to work through. So bring them in, include right. them. Yeah. So yeah. we've all got somebody in our life who is always going, oh, no, don't give up your full-time job. It'll end in tears. Okay, tell me what you're concerned about. What are the barriers that you're seeing to me do that? Because maybe there's some that you haven't actually yeah. addressed. Wow, how, I like how that. How can you help me do that? Yeah. You know? Great, great tips for people to open the conversation more and unpack it together rather than shutting it down or feeling yeah. feeling hurt by hearing that sentence or, or exactly the words right. no, no but. Mm, yes. Yeah. yeah. Great. Well, that kind of brings me a little bit, and I've got to bring the the money aspect Excellent. of um, our show here to this, but it, it does make me think about a couple of things. Number one, um, the reason we have this podcast is we believe that sharing people's experiences, um, good, bad, interesting or otherwise, um, helps people feel more confident with money. And we know that in society there's you know, financial illiteracy, um, financial underconfidence yeah. um, or <laughs> financial overconfidence um, where people, uh, you know, believe they're, they're far better off than perhaps they are. And by talking about some of these issues, we like to hope that people come away with some wisdom for themselves um, in, in those money areas. Is there anything you'd like to share about your life or, or that of what you see from a coaching point of view might be some common concerns? that come up that you you think might be helpful? So I've got a two that I thought about because you'd sort of suggested to Great. have two. So the first yes, one, yes. and I see this with my clients, but I certainly experienced it myself, was having developing the confidence in yourself and believing that you can generate your own income. Mm. That's not meaning that everybody should work for themselves. It's about understanding that even if you are working in a job and you have to work in a job and maybe that job makes you miserable or whatever it is and you're just doing it because you've got roof over your head, kids to feed, etc. Mm. If you shift your mindset that you're generating your own income, I found that gave me the belief in myself that I could go and work and have a business on my own. So for my parents who were depression-era Children, having a yes, job, yeah. having a job for life was the holy grail. My husband, on of the other course. hand, had been raised in a family that had always had part-time jobs, side gigs. Um, his grandmother had a second-hand business. So he said, let's go into business. And I went, oh, and he went, it's okay. But I had to, yeah. even though he was saying it was okay, I still had to learn that for myself. And then by the time he died, I went, I'm good with this. I know I Lucky. can generate my own income. I didn't have that. It stopped me having the fear about money, but it just shifted yeah. my whole. And I was, you know, after he died, I went back to work full time. Yeah. For a whole range of reasons. It wasn't just financial. It was around getting out of the house, mixing with people. Yeah. Um, yeah. all, all of those things that you make decisions around. Um, However, yeah. that je- being confident to know that I was responsible for my income, not my boss, not somebody giving me something, I could go and get it mm. and I could put myself forward for jobs and I, when I've worked for people, I've been a lot happier knowing that I generated my fortnightly 
bank deposit, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So that That's was exactly first. right. Yeah. Yeah. And the second one is not glamorous or showy, but again, have a will, have a power of attorney or whatever those documents are in your state and ensure anybody else in your life whose financial will or whatever is going to impact on you should they die, make sure they have one as well. Because when you are grieving, you are dealing with uncertainty, you are dealing with a whole range of issues. The last thing you want to have to deal with is not knowing what's happening, but even more importantly, not having the documents that are going to allow you to find out. And Again, I, I have those conversations with my clients because many of them are in businesses. It's all very well talking about all of those emotional things that stop them doing it. But if you're in business, have you got these things? Yeah. You know, go and see a business coach around this. Go and see an accountant. Go and get that information. I'm not, it's not my expertise, but go and find out. Yeah. It's yeah. important. Yes. So, again, yeah. not glamorous, uh, but. Oh, really, really important, um, Trish, and, and a really great thing to raise because people don't connect the dots with what we would call estate planning and money. Um, under As a financial advisor, obviously, it's, it's a requirement of our licensing that we address that with clients uh, because we help people build wealth, but also that wealth has to be distributed at some point in time. Everybody will die the uh, I've been uh, probably maybe like yourself um, affected uh, my mother was in a terrible accident so she actually didn't die but um, she was permanently disabled she was left uh, with severe disability required 24-hour care she had brain damage she had physical damage um, it's quite horrendous and as at the time, I was nine months pregnant with my second child, and we didn't have any of these documents in place. Mum and Dad, you know, thought that they were young and and didn't need these sorts of things, and we had to go through the guardianship and all kinds of things to to get appointments and then start to deal with the financial implications of what that meant for our family and Mum while she was recovering. Um, and it was a very uh, overwhelming disorienting experience and we were grieving of sorts she hadn't passed away but she you know it was a life-changing scenario and it is it is and I think you know I encourage everybody like yourself to consider what happens at the end of life as well as along the way Um, and that you know having that paperwork as silly as it sounds in order um, can just save all your um, generally your loved people or whoever you're leaving things to or want to leave things to. Number one, it's clearer um, and uh, easier for people to not have to try and find documents, try and explain things, start from nowhere, you know. Um, It's just such a difficult thing to do. So it's a really, really valuable tip that you shared. Thank you. My pleasure. Um, I I think think it's really important. Yeah, and I think of it as a gift of love. You know, just that knowing those things are in place and people, everybody knows, they don't need to know the content, they just need to know Mm. that they exist, gives everybody peace of mind. Yeah, 
Definitely. And, you know, whenever there's a change, it might be something that needs to be reviewed, um, you know, because perhaps things change or people change, relationships change, other people that you might be nominating um, as beneficiaries may pass away and and therefore suddenly. Uh, so it's not something that's a one-off. It, it might not need a review for 10, 20 years, but just to keep an eye on it occasionally. So for the people listening that do have wills and, and feel like, well, great, I've got that done, you know, are they as up to date as you want them to be? Might be a good time to refresh. And if you don't have them, please get along and see an estate planning expert. I would much more recommend that than a will kit. They're not, um, sometimes, if not executed correctly, they're not worth the paper they're written on. We, um, being a podcast, we are listened to all around the world. So different jurisdictions have different rules. So that's why it's important to go and see an expert and make sure you've got what's relevant in your state or country. Um, so yeah, that's that's definitely very important. The other thing I liked about what you talk about generating an income was you touched on something that I think is really important when it comes with two things. When, you, when it comes to finance is your mindset, because I think what I noticed with the way that you talked about, even if you are in a job that you weren't happy with, paraphrasing or rephrasing that to be, here I am generating my own income is is looking for the positives in that and, and also giving a feeling and a sense of control where you may feel not in control if you're in a job you don't like. Um, so that's an important mindset which brings about confidence, um, which of course, you know, is, is, is a really important um, emotion. And the other thing was, we, we touched on it earlier before we got onto the money sort of topic, but just around having a, a plan or the start of a plan, but the fact that an idea is, is not... Uh, anything more than just that. You know, you have to start taking action for something to be put into fruition. So generating an income is one step in that moving forward financially. The second part may be looking at that income and where do you allocate some of that? Um, and is that to your future self? Is it to your savings if, you, if you're able to? And even if it's a dollar a week, it's something. But actually, you know, starting to action step some of that out is really important as well. All right. Is there anything that comes up as a popular theme when you're talking to individuals? You mentioned that you coach um, organizations as well. Um, Do people get to you to come and speak to them about how a team can work together or how does that work for organizations? So often what will happen is I will get approached by an organization and they will say, and more often than not, it's in the emerging leader space. So they've got, you know, team leaders, middle managers that they're looking to build. When yeah. I have conversations with them, I I ask this question, are you looking to grow them or are you looking to indoctrinate them? Which might seem quite an aggressive statement, but because I work from the weird wisdom point of view and also I don't stand up and train, I'm the leader, I've got all the knowledge, I am facilitating, often we do lots of activities and I wait to see what how they debrief and what meaning they make of it because often that will start to unearth the real issues in the organisation other than what the leaders yeah. saw. So that conversation from the beginning is really important to me. We do training. When I put my proposals in, I always add coaching and phased out it's probably you know like a three-month coaching period and I 
frame that up and say what I'm providing are the bumpers, you know, the bump rails that they give you when you learn to do 10-pin bowling. Yes. Yes. Nobody goes and starts playing bowling or very few people would throw the ball down and consistently get strikes. You know, most of us end up in the ditches. And that's what happens when you do one-off training. People go back to the workplace and nothing's changed. They've got the knowledge, but there's no support there to help them make the change and to understand that people will be able to do this at different rates and that the Mm. coaching allows that process for me to do. So, you know, I'll start off with one-on-one coaching, we'll fade, and that might be weekly, and then we'll fade that to fortnightly. And eventually what I try to do is create some peer coaching programs within the workplace so they can help each other which builds teamwork and all the rest of it. So that's, I guess, loosely how those organisational contacts and training and coaching happens. But as I said, you know, I'm really working with the people who are in the room and I respond to them. And if something comes up that's a little bit off track about what was the supposed content, I will follow that thread and I make that very clear to the decision makers who hired me. I will follow that thread. Yeah, yeah. You know, I am not one of those trainers to shut things down because that's half their problem. And if they want their leaders who are emerging to really be able to influence the culture, you know, on some level they know things aren't right, even if they're not going to tell me. The emerging leaders will. When when you're in a room for three days in a row. It comes out. Yeah. It does. Yeah. So that's that's it. It's fun. I try to make it playful because nobody wants to be told they want to experience. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really important, is it, to, to have that playtime um, as such to to get people to open up to other things that they may feel awkward about talking about. Um, it must be interesting. I bet sometimes you say, wow, I never thought it was going to go off in this direction and, and suddenly find yourself Absolutely. away from the, where you thought you were going. Yeah. yeah. I had that experience just yesterday a friend the day before she works with toddlers and she had done in the library the hokey pokey and lots of people had joined in. Right. I went, oh, that sounded like so fun, so much fun. So I'd actually got into the room, training room early and had all the tables and chairs moved out. And when the group moved in, we did the hokey pokey. <laughs> and I was doing it, like, seriously, I was doing it because I was amused by it. But this yes, group yes. kind of went, we are never taking you for granted again. And I went, you will. Great. And this is why. And we had a conversation then about how we make meaning and how we make sense of things and why we are uncomfortable when something doesn't fit in what we've already known. But if I hadn't done Hokey Pokey, we may never have had that conversation. Got onto that. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, Yeah. I love that. That's really, really fun and and kind of makes you think of those times where you've had to walk into a a sort of a conference setting and you're sitting with people you don't know and they make you stand up and talk to the person next to you and you think, oh no, you know, I've got to introduce myself or whatever. But it's extreme levels if you've got to go and do the hokey pokey with them, I guess. (laughs) Bit of fun. Sounds good. Yeah, definitely. Fun's important. Well, I think that's, you know, been really interesting conversation. I think you've had a, a you've given us all, all a lot to think about. Um, I love, I love the term wisdom and I love even more that it, it reflects one's destiny because I think that that's something that all of us feel we have, um, but we don't always do something about. So I think that that's important. People 
find ways to embrace that. Um, how can people find you, Trish? Tell us how they can look well, you up. Well, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, so you can find me under Trish Goodfield. I also am on Instagram. Um, you know, really pithy 90-second insights, <laughs> um, you know, posted Great. regularly. Um, I've got, yep. you know, a website that people can jump into, it's 66 Solutions, uh, you know, yes. email, phone numbers, it, the whole gamut. So, all yeah. thing. Good old Google will, will help people find you. Yes, exactly. You. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I really, um, really enjoyed our conversation. I hope people look you up. I think organisations and individuals will obviously get a lot of value and a bit of fun along the way, which is important. Thanks for having me, Tanya. Um, we'll sign off for today. And as I always like to say, remember to think before you spend. See you next time. This podcast is for general information only. It contains brief comments not intended to be the basis for decision-making, nor to be taken as a substitute for personal advice. Please contact Amplify Wealth Management to discuss any matters that may be relevant to your individual situation. Money Mind. If you have any questions about your financial future, please head to amplifywealth.com.au. Money Mind is available to download and subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts.